Hey guys, welcome to the You Make the Scene podcast. My name is Josh, and this is episode number 190. This week on the show, I've got one of my favorite conversations. Uh, This is a band that I've been a fan of for a few years now, kind of as they broke onto the scene. Um, You know, I discovered one of their songs, and they've been in a constant rotation ever since. And it's really cool when you get to connect with someone like that. So on this week's show, I've got uh, Phil and Marvin of the band Floya. If you guys aren't familiar with them, you need to get familiar with them because it's dope shit. Uh, had a great time talking with the guys. Really appreciate them um, linking up and, and making time on a Sunday afternoon uh, to do this conversation. And yeah, we talked about all kinds of stuff. They've got a debut album coming out on March 8th called Yoom. Uh, that's out via a rising empire. And, you know, we talk about the album. We talk about being with a rising empire. Um, the genre blending and fusion of EDM and rock music that they're doing. Just all sorts of stuff. The way that they craft songs, the intentionality behind the shifting perspective for Phil as he writes lyrics and uh, vocals. And it's just this really, really cool conversation. Hopefully a really good introduction for any of you that maybe aren't familiar with him yet. Um, and yeah, it again, one of my favorite conversations that I've had. So let's dive into it. This is my conversation with the guys in Floya. Um, yeah, to kick things off, I do start with the same boring ass question every time. Simple introduction, guys. Who are you? And just a little background on yourselves. My name's Phil. I'm singing for Floya for the past three years now. And uh, I've been in the industry for about 11 years. Awesome. Yeah. My name is Marvin and I play guitar for Floya. Yeah, dope. Um, so for the people that aren't familiar with you guys, which at this point, it's weird because like, for me and my preferred genres and stuff like you guys are such a standout talent. And I'm not saying that just to blow smoke up your ass or anything. Like, I think that you guys have, have done this thing really well of like kind of melding a few different genres together and creating this unique soundscape. But for people that aren't familiar with you, how would you go about describing the easiest way to get into listening to you or, you know, your preferred uh, market space, if you will. First of all, thank you so much for the compliment. We really appreciate that. It's nice to to feel understood. And um, yeah, it, it's it's kind of the thing, you know, when when Marvin and I first sat down and got together, um, we we were talking back and forth about what we wanted to do, like artistically, because if we were if we were to start a new project, it has to be something that uh we are both fully committed to you know in in terms Mm -hmm. of creative vision and obviously it hasn't been there from the start just from the get-go but the more we you know um compared tabs and uh ideas we we knew that we wanted to fuse two different worlds and try to bring two audiences together that usually wouldn't meet i mean to speak about big names i mean linking park kind of did something in that vein they brought together a a rap slash hip-hop audience with a rock slash metal audience Mm -hmm. we obviously have a, a strong rock and heavier music background but I personally, for example, I've uh, I've been growing up with uh, art pop, basically. So mainly okay, yeah. that. And um, also, like, in the past five years, fell 
incredibly in love with electronic music. And uh, usually, uh, without any uh, disrespect, uh, usually like uh, rock bands and metal bands, if they use electronic elements, it's not really a pillar of their sound, mm -hmm. but instead it's something that that flows on top, basically. Yeah, so yeah. it's not really part of the overall structure of the whole building, mm -hmm. but instead like uh, something up above. And we're trying to equally have two pillars: that rock side and that EDM slash electronic side. And depending on the song and the idea. Um, basically choosing what what of those pillars is up front and which is maybe a little more laid back sometimes it ends up being 50 50 yeah you know so so that was really interesting because i haven't dabbled too much with electronic music before so it was like a child on a uh <laughs> on a very very deep discovery and yeah. I, I think it, ha it has been the same for you hasn't it yeah i mean the main reason why we decided for that is that we decided to be a duo and just to mm -hmm. do. I mean, we have a live and a session drama and on stage and in the studio, of course, but because we're still addicted to real drums because they just, yeah, yeah. bring the power that electronic music, it's, a, it's the same power, of course, but it's different way in our opinion. Yeah. The energy is different, especially on stage. Especially if you can see it, you know, visually having a drummer yeah, on stage sure, is some, sure. so so different to just having electronic drums coming out of a speaker. It's just a medium for for uh, for energy. Yeah, yeah. I, th reason... I think it adds a element of emotion to it because you can see how uh -huh. passionately exactly. they play. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you look at the Chain Smokers, they also have a live drummer like mm -hmm. McGuire, who adds so much value to the show. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, these kind of things all inspired us by the decision to to go as a duo and have the freedom of using like all kinds of instruments, elements that we just want to compared to being back in a band. I mean, I've been in a band with six, five other people. So of course, you always when you wrote a song, you always had to find something for everyone, and right. it was a bit restricting in that way because you always had a bass, you had two guitars, and you always needed something. To yeah, yeah, have to bridge them everything together, yeah, for sure. Exactly. And these, yeah. yeah, these were the main reasons and inspirations that we, why we decided yeah. to go for this. Yeah, and I think that's really cool. And something you said, Phil, that really hit me is, you know, you said no disrespect to any of the artists that are using like the electronic, um, but it does kind of feel like they write a rock song and then just, oh, what can we fit over the top of it? Whereas you guys are a lot more intentional about how do we build these together so that they're flowing together and that they make cohesive sense. And sometimes, you know, once we try to to establish that, trying to create a homogenous mixture of those two things that can be contrary at times, sometimes it works better than other times, obviously. So it's not um, yeah. always very, very easy. But, you know, the... The question that you asked first, like about where, where do we see ourselves in, in a market position? I think that's really that's a really interesting question because we're actually still figuring that out. Because you know, simple example, um, if every time we release a new song, we also use the the platform Submit Hub. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Perfect. And um, you know, the people in charge of electronic music playlists, they told us like, nah, it's too heavy. And the people in charge of rock playlists told us, nah, it's too soft. So you're kind of falling into too much electronic, they said. Yeah. yeah, right, right, yeah. right. And so that that 
led to the fact that we fell through a lot, you know, be, because people didn't know where to place us. And to this day, it's it's, it's difficult. Don't. It's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's kind of the blessing and the curse, right? You're trying something that that isn't done too much, at least. Um, but then the posi positioning, who are you going to tour with? You know, which which festival should you apply to? It's all a big mystery. So we're just trying everything. Yeah, well, and I think that's that's exactly it. You know, I think a lot of the genre barriers have come down over the last, especially like through the pandemic, right? Like everybody started experimenting. I think the problem is, to your point, nobody knows what the hell any of it is yet. So there's, we can't say, oh, they fit over here because over here doesn't exist yet. You're kind of on this pioneering edge of, of what this next um, genre generation is going to be. Uh, I'm lucky enough that I found out about you guys way back when I say way back when, when you released the hymn. And from that moment on, it's been, you know, I've, I've played you guys for several friends. You end up on my playlists all the time for like workout playlists, <laughs> things like that. Um, cool. Because I think, I think it is, it's this really beautiful melding of these genres. And I think there's, you know, again, bragging on you a little bit, Phil here with, with your vocals laying over the top of this, there is some sort of almost like a juxtaposition of like, why is, why is it such a clean, pretty vocal over this type of, of soundscape? Or, you know, it just almost, it's right on the edge of, does this fit? And it does so beautifully. Thank you so much. Like, honestly, um, you know, something that motivated me to keep going as a, a singer in, in my bands and in this band is that I, I discovered for myself that I could hit those really high and harsh notes, right? They deliver mm -hmm. a lot of emotion. And, uh, you know, usually if you were to look at Floya and the concept of it, like being that mixture of rock and EDM, and usually uh, if, if you hear something like that, it's all very polished and completely clean vocals, like mm -hmm. in, in, instead of like something raspy or something more aggressive that might deliver a little bit more emotion, at least to us, it's all subjective, right? right. Um, but we would never, never shy away from, from using that, you know, because we, we love the emotion that almost screaming can mm -hmm. deliver. So um, that, that's really, really important to not never lose that edge. We're never going to go full synth pop because we, we like that rough edge. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, you know, especially in the U.S. anyway, the alternative music scene is becoming more and more popular. So those harsh vocals are becoming more of a mainstream staple. Um, not that pop's ever going to go away, right? Like no. <laughs> it's, it's the music for the masses for a reason. Um, however, I think it's really important that you guys, you know, what you're saying so far without saying it is that you're staying authentic to yourselves and true to what you guys believe this music should be and not allowing uh, the industry in a sense to dictate like, nope, you either need to commit to one side or the other. I mean, sometimes, you know, if we were like a standard, like what is standard, right? But a, right. a classical metalcore combo, for example, you'd exactly know which booking agency to talk to, which festivals to apply, like which bands yeah. to tour with. As I said, it's it's uh, it's it's difficult, but this is the most interesting approach to us. You know what what keeps us motivated and trying to. I don't want to say pioneer because that's a really big term, you know, and right. with all res respect to all the artists out there trying something new, it's it's difficult to do something entirely new, right? 
yeah. but we're, we're trying to to push what alternative music can be and uh you know it doesn't go without the fair share of oh my god is this too clean <laughs> does it work how do we get that edge in there or the other way around so it's it's a new challenge every day yeah absolutely and i think you know again with genres kind of kind of dissolving over the last couple of years like there is obviously a lot of space for you guys where you would fit but it's still trying to figure out like and getting the buy-in from others of hey we would fit on this tour package because we can do both mm. um but i think there's still that reluctance a lot of times where people go well but we really need just to to match the style the energy whatever you know like like a, a really childlike pipe dream of mine is like to be the first like alternative rock slash uh edm band on something like tomorrowland you know yeah. something like this is not possible as of right now but maybe someday um uh, you know because those audience are audiences are just cross-pollinating so much in recent years you know it's, mm -hmm. it's especially apparent i don't know if you're familiar but there's that song with the lenium right and and the spirit box singer spirit box yes oh right yeah yes. they they did something there too right yeah but but yeah. this is kind of like the thing you know you can see a lenium pretty much definitely on on tomorrowland um and if he plays that song i'm really curious to to see how that audience will accept it yeah for sure and he's i think he's a really good example for anyone you know listening that isn't familiar with you guys if they've heard a lenium there's some some crossover to what style you guys are doing Maybe not quite as much drum and bass as what he does on certain songs, but um, you know, it, it definitely has those similar, similar enough elements that if you're an Illinium fan, Floya is a band to check out because we kind of fit that mold. It's very cool that you're saying that because it's it's you know we can't deny that he he is an inspiration what he does you know as much as for example in that side of the spectrum the chainsmokers are like right yeah because they could be that you know two people edm duo but they in, instead go for a live drummer who who delivers that energy you know and elenium could just collaborate with you know any singer in the world but he chooses to go that that harsh way sometimes to deliver something else of the spectrum and you know it's just too limiting in, in a from a from a personal and business perspective to just would choose one shade of music right mm -hmm. so that that's probably what what we think about a lot yeah absolutely uh let's talk a little bit about you've got the the new album getting ready to drop the debut album getting ready to drop you're out on um a rising empire talk about you know they're one of those labels that over the last two or three years are really getting on people's radar what was it like when you had those conversations, looked at the roster and went, is this real? You know, like, are we really about to join this? You want to go? Yeah, the good thing about it is that my previous band, Alaska, has already been on the Rising Empire. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we knew each other. And when we started this project, we first wanted to go the DIY way, just yeah, self-releasing everything. And, uh, yeah, we were lucky enough that they sent over a mail and, yeah, we were... In the last um, last preparations of releasing the first single by ourselves, and then yeah. stopped everything, and yeah, <laughs> luckily went with them. And of course, yeah, it's an honor. I mean, it wasn't that easy at first to decide for for them, and we honestly already talked about it yeah. um, because of the yeah of the genre that they mainly present, but they yeah 
they they were yeah. the ones saying okay but we want something different they want to branch and we out will try yeah. to yeah market it properly so i was really worried at first because obviously they're great people great to work with but like the audience that they have like they have a big audience but like uh if, if you're a band like we are like in the in the style of music um you can probably like scratch out half their audience that are going right. to be turned off by us right and I, i i really didn't know what to anticipate at first but honestly so far we're getting so much love by their audience so um we've been we are really privileged to to work with them <laughs> yeah yeah and I, i that's a great point you know looking at the roster you guys are kind of for lack of a better term the sore thumb right like <laughs> Yeah. we're not really the same mold as everybody else here but i think it is cool that you know a a label like them is looking at this alternative space to to branch out more um but it also goes to speak a lot about their trust in your creativity and and your vision for the project absolutely absolutely and we're very thankful for their trust you know yeah Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Drift. This was a, a little bit different song for you guys. Um, you you, you kind of mentioned in the, the press release that I got about how, Phil, you were kind of struggling with like an ambivalence towards what music meant to you anymore or kind of the, the passion, um, not necessarily fading, just struggling to, to hold on to it, right? What was it like going through that? And then, you know, kind of where was that light switch or that moment that was okay this is how i need to to address this that's such a big question let me try <laughs> to to find the perfect explanation for that as as uh, much as i'm capable um so imagine this i'm two years old my dad places me in front of a um a video recorder and plays me peter gabriel's secret world a live concert from 1993 And that was the coolest thing I've seen in my life thus far. Obviously, I haven't seen right. much. <laughs> But uh, it continued to stay like that for me, you know, uh, through the years, like the first exposure that I had to to his keyboard, to my dad's keyboard. And then he bought me a guitar. And, you know, that that experience that I had as a very young child never, never left me alone, so to speak. It was still the coolest thing ever. And I couldn't even imagine doing something else with my life and my career than than doing music like but it's it's just you know the the business is not a secret it's tough it's it's very very tough and if you're from the outside looking in before you actually you know know people have connections have bandmates that have experience and all that you're from the outside looking in and you're asking yourself how is this going to work you know because my parents for example my family as a whole There are no musicians in my family. And once I said, mom, dad, I want to do music for a living. They were like, that doesn't work. You know, because That's not a thing. <laughs> they themselves, you know, they, they didn't have a clue. They thought like, okay, there are either people who make millions off of music and there are people sleeping under a bridge because they fail. Um, what people tend to forget is the middle ground. You know, there are so many people yeah. working in the industry that aren't rich or poor. They just make a decent living you know and obviously i'll take the millions <laughs> but you know i'm i'm just happy if uh, if it meets somewhere in the middle and um when i look back on being in time the valiator um we had very big aspirations and uh i, I was probably the only one in that formation that has had been touring before 
and then doing the first tour and being kind of not unprepared but underprepared so to speak mm -hmm. um that taught us an important lesson we were under a lot of stress and you know trying to 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 like get from these kind of studio musicians that we were to live musicians and you know we we really had to grow into that role and it, it's been it's been difficult everybody wanted something different and i didn't really know what i wanted because deadlines make everything a little bit more it it can suck the fun out of stuff if you're not yeah. careful <laughs> yeah and sure. uh, it, it strongly depends on your mindset and in retrospect, I'd have to say that none of us in that band had the best mindset to to work in this industry, and wanted different things. Like uh, it's it's very different for me now because with Marv, it's just you know we're seeing eye to eye. We want the same thing out of our careers, out of this band, and uh, you know once once I feel overwhelmed or too stressed, you know we're, we're not factories, right? If you have to create something. It, it sometimes it just doesn't work by the push of a button. And uh, while that gets to me, sometimes Marv has his ways to, you know, calm me down and provide perspective because he's just a more chill dude that I, than I am. I get stressed very easily and he has that calm demeanor that um, that's really helpful. So when, when Time the Value to disbanded, and, well, they didn't disband, I, I left the band. Um, I was so fed up with all of it that I didn't know if I wanted to return. And that's basically what what, what Drift is about. You know, I, I felt like I, I was missing a part of my personality now. It, it just I just shed it. And uh, like two years in that break from my career, I was just like, who who am I even? Like, what, what do I want to do? Like, I was working in a dead end job that I wasn't happy with. And uh, yeah, that's basically it. I, I knew that it, it was calling me back. <laughs> Right. No, but um, I didn't know how or if I really wanted to until I discovered that it can be the source of so much happiness, but you have to you tackle it right, you know, like have the right mindset to tackle it. It's still work, but it's also passion. And those two mm -hmm. things need to be balanced out. Yeah. And, you know, something that you you touched on there that I think is really important, and I've talked about it with other artists is the importance of having the right people around you or beside you, you know, you mentioned you were kind of the, the only one that had toured and experienced certain things, which can be a benefit. It can be a hindrance as well, because they don't know what to expect or they expect more out of you because you've done this. Um, right. But then you also, you know, praise Marv here a little bit about how he's able to kind of recenter you a little bit with, Hey, it's a like chill. It's fine. Like we're going to go this route and we'll do this thing or, Let's take a break from it. And I think when you have those factors, especially in a, a project as condensed as this, um, it is really beneficial because it kind of gives you that perspective that it doesn't have to be perfect on the first try. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm still to this day, day I'm, I'm learning from Mark because he's he's got so much more experience, like even touring than I have. Like I've done probably three tours. You've done like, I don't know how many, <laughs> many. <laughs> but you know, he's happy to share his experiences and he, he used to work under a lot of pressure. And, you know, when it comes to balancing, balancing things out, like mentally, I, I still learn from him every day. So that's just a fact. Yeah. And I, I think that's, you know, again, just a really cool thing where you're able to 
kind of recognize that in yourself, right? And here's where my quote unquote downfalls are, but this is how Marv can fill in and and help, you know, fill those gaps or whatever it may be. Um, so let's talk about lights out. You guys just dropped that. We're recording this on Sunday. That just came out this last week. Um, talk a little bit about kind of the the push that you're making, I think is really interesting. You know, a lot of bands tend to um slow play their album release, you know, currently is is the game plan for a lot of bands. And you guys are like just hammering out the singles like, look, this is what we're doing. We want to be in your face. We want you to pay attention. Um, so talk a little bit about the song, but also talk about this release strategy leading into the album. Oh, where to start? <laughs> <laughs> right. What's important to say is that the um, that Lights Out was the first song we ever wrote together when we've been to Norway on a trip together with our producer, Chris, to just get to know each other and see how things work or if they work. Yeah. And yeah, Lights Out was the track that we first recorded then, but then honestly pushed a bit back because we felt like, okay, this is the first song. It sounds like the roots where we come from. I mean, it's obviously the the most, it's the darkest song and maybe even the heaviest. I'd say that's true. And we weren't sure if that's the identity that we wanted to, that's the vision we share for Floria. So we mm -hmm. pushed it back, started with Wonders and tracks that, yeah. If you know most of the tracks now, you can tell that that's the other direction where we try to turn more to. And... Yeah, it's been fun to finally put it out and to to put it out at all because we weren't sure if we want to do it. And in the end, we were very happy that that we decided to to bring it out. Yeah, yeah. that ahead, song Phil. actually marks marks a really an interesting turning point for me. Like um, when it comes to my work ethic, because um, I had that situation a couple years back with my dad where I sat down with him and we listened back to back to the Tom Valiota album. And he was just, you know, having the booklet in his hands, like reading along to to the songs. And um, at the end of it, he was like, uh, son, do we need to talk? And that's when I realized that well, that this album contained a lot of depressing shit. Mm -hmm. And that I had this style of writing that was really, really dark sometimes, and maybe for my family a little bit worrying. And um, once we started Floya and Marv's playing, and the ideas that we had were so much more uplifting. So Lights Out was the, the first song that I wrote lyrics to, and I wanted to, to write something uplifting, but I failed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, failed is uh, in the eye of the of of the. Uh, the viewer obviously or the, the listener because um i i still think it's a it's a great track even if it has some darker lyrics than what i usually write for floya but i was trying so hard and at some point i was just like you know fuck it i can't do it as of right now i we then wrote wonders and um i tried changing my approach and that was like an eye opener because it worked and it actually changed a lot of who i am creatively but also who i am like as a person today yeah you know because i opened myself up to much more positive and uplifting topics um instead of you know focusing on the things that i struggle with in a, in, in in my everyday life you know it, it yeah. i'm not trying to you know conceal these entirely in our music but 
I think it's so so important. I learned that really late in in my thirties. Um, that uh, you know, there's so much reason to think about things that don't work. Um, but in the end, it's it's uh, it, it sucks the energy out of you, and it makes yeah. you a person that you know sometimes can be hard to get along with. And uh, there's still so much good because we're like privileged, obviously, right? We have a roof over our head. We have food <laughs> whenever we want. We have jobs. We have this career. Um, so uh, yeah, focusing on the on the positive stuff helps me in in every way possible. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that it's it's really cool to hear you say that because I think you know one of the the things that maybe gets lost a lot, especially in this um, this hybrid genre, if you will, uh, is kind of the understanding from a casual listener, if you will, um, that these songs aren't just engineered, right? Like there's still substance to these songs. It's not this puzzle piece that we're just building a a picture. There's still something here. And I think, you know, especially with the EDM side, that misconception for a very long time was just, oh, they don't, they're just putting words over the the sounds because it sounds cool. And it's like, no, there's so much more depth to it. And I think it's really cool that you're you're open and honest about like, this is something I've struggled with. This is where my mind tends to go, but I'm intentionally trying to shift my perspective. Absolutely. You know, and uh, sometimes you're so close to the actual product that you're working on that you tend to lose perspective. You know, sometimes I'm just like glued in front of my screen and uh, I'm like, is this cool? Is this something that we could do? And then Marv tags along and he's like, well, do you like it? And I'm (laughs) like, I don't know. Well, you should know. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So that's that's kind of that happens, too. So. uh, yeah, it's it's really really important to to step away and see will it make me will it make me feel something uh, if I took this on stage and perform it, or does it do anything for me? And you know, gaining the space to decide on that that's that's really important. I feel. Yeah, um, that reminds me of I'm going to mess up the quote, so I won't. I'll paraphrase it. But I just saw a thing uh, where Rick Rubin was you know doing more and more interviews now. And there was a conversation that he was having kind of along that line of, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the listener thinks at the end of the day, it does, but like, you're making the art for yourself. If you don't love what you're doing, don't do it and don't put it out. And it's kind of what, you know, you're alluding to that Marv's given you is like this. If, if you're not sure about it, then don't commit to it. Like you have to love what you're doing. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it's and it's funny that you mentioned that because our producer, Chris, he's like um, quoting Rick Rubin to us like probably every week, like once with a new <laughs> quote. And uh, actually, I, I bought Marvin a copy uh, for Christmas of, of Rick Rubin's book because, uh-huh. uh, you know, what, what he says holds a lot of truth to it. And if you examine his career, he's a really interesting guy, right? Yeah. He's like <laughs> completely transparent about, do you play any instruments? Nope. Have you any technical ability? No. (laughs) And still, he managed to put out some of the most spectacular albums of all time. So um, he's he's a big inspiration uh, when when it comes to all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think the thing with him is, you know, I think he's, he's got this unique ability. His superpower, if you will, is unlocking the talent and potential in others. 
and he's just kind of the conduit that helps pass it through. And that's such an important role, you know, because I remember an interview uh, that I was quoting from in, in the thing that I said last, and uh, that interview was just like, well, if you don't have any technical ability and you can't play any instruments, what's your value? What are people paying you for? And like the psychological level of communicating with musicians in the studio, it's like, okay, I'm going to press record and you feel everything you've ever felt and put it into that track. It's not how it works. Right. You have to, you know, bounce, you know, feelings, conversations and ideas off of each other with your producer in the room to get yourself to that level. Right. That's basically why the golden rule, the first hour in the studio is always dog shit. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. I, well, and it, it's funny, you know, that the interviewer would ask Rick Rubin, like, what's your value after this man has changed the musical landscape? Like he's made millions upon millions of dollars and made other people make millions upon millions of dollars. And you're questioning what value he brings to the industry. But probably just because he didn't know what he's actually doing. <laughs> right. Right. It's, it's it's somewhat fair, you know, if you're if you're not in the process with him. But after everything that he said, I, I think he's just a great person to have in the room. You know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So while we're on the topic of producers, let's talk about Chris a little bit, right? You guys have have been partnered with Chris for a while now and just really being able to have kind of that third man in the group to a sense of like understanding the project, helping you guys along as far as unlocking sounds, things like that. What's that relationship been like and kind of the development throughout? We know Chris for, I don't know, 10, 11 years. For me, I Probably. think it must be over 10 years. It's at least been a decade. Because he's always been producing our previous bands before. So yeah. we never thought about doing this with somebody else and uh, as mentioned yeah he's been with us to norway he's been with us to croatia we often once a year we try to do some writing trip to just mm -hmm. get out seek for new inspiration and come back with hopefully some new song ideas and stuff and yeah he's always most of the time whenever he has the time to with us there and yeah it's just an amazing collaboration to have him as a secret member more or less that's <laughs> right behind the scenes yeah i mean honestly um it's he's got a yeah well his, his personality traits are quite interesting because um in this world of music it's really easy to lose sight of things and to just try and put out as much as you can get shit done as fast as possible you know and if you're not careful, you fall into that be behavior of a machine, basically, you know, mm -hmm. and a lot of passion um, deteriorates from, from the process if you're not careful. And with Chris, it's just like everything he does, he puts so much passion and time into it. You know, sometimes perfect examples, actually, Marv and Chris were, were sitting um, in, in front of a computer in Croatia. And uh, they were looking for a clap sample, you know, right? To have mm -hmm. a hyped up part. And um, Marv was just like, yeah, let's just look it up on Splice and grab one and put it in and that's it. And he was just like, no, I want to sample it. And then I'm going to EQ it and compress it and whatever the hell he does with it. Right. He wanted to create everything from the environment, basically, that we were in at that point. And uh, while uh, the clap from Splice did it in that, in that case... <laughs> 
um, he, he he still has that ambition to all the time go the extra mile. And I think that's that's hard to find these days on the, on the market of producers. You know, people try to finish as much as possible, as I said, and sometimes he, he doesn't really care about deadlines as long as the product is not there. It's not there yet. You know, right. and that's that's great to work with. Even sometimes in the in the studio, if I have like a really dog shit day and I can't perform to my ability, he's like, oh, okay, you know what? We're not going to push this any farther. Come back tomorrow. We'll sort this out, you know, and he yeah. doesn't kill me for that. So that's that's quite nice. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, to your point, like, especially the way that the industry kind of exists currently. Um, there's a lot of pressure even on the producers just to, like you said, kind of be part of the machine and and be a factory to get stuff out. So it is cool to hear that like he takes the time to, yeah, I could put out this project. We could be done with it in three weeks, you know, whatever, like here's your album. Or we could take six weeks, nine weeks, 12 weeks, whatever it's going to take and make sure that this is the best thing for you which in turn is going to benefit me because then people are going to go, that was really fucking clean. Like who did that? Oh, Chris helped us. So now my stock goes up as well. Absolutely. You know what? And, and with, with almost every release, there are at least like two, three, four, five comments about how clean his vocal mix is or how clean the overall sound is that it's very well produced without being overproduced. And if we wouldn't, you know, let him have that time with the songs, this kind of quality wouldn't make it into the songs. No, you'd you know? be getting a preset just slapped over the top of what you've done. But he he wouldn't give that out to us, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> he would he would just uh, say, "Shut up! I'm not done. I need more time. You're gonna get it when you're gonna get it. <laughs> if we're not under like very very strict deadlines." Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I I think that's really cool that you know you guys have been able to to find someone that that does fit the the project and the mindset and even just the the family if you will outside of the project um again going back to what we said earlier about the importance of finding the right people to put around you that's one of those roles that uh, sure you could theoretically hire rick rubin to do your album and it's probably going to be an amazing album but if he doesn't understand the project is it worth spending that money there absolutely couldn't agree more and that's kind of the thing here because Chris was there from, you know, the first hour basically. And we asked him in Norway on, on the on the first writing trip that we did if he wants to be on board with all of that. And he knew uh, what, what kind of uh, commitment he would enter that way. And he was like, let's fucking do it. I'm, I'm ready. I'm here for you guys. Still to this day, couldn't have done it without him. Absolute uh, key, key person in this team. Yeah, for sure. Um, for you guys, as the, the album gets ready to drop on uh, the 8th of March, kind of what's the the view, right? Like, obviously, you want to do shows and stuff like that. How's that working overseas right now with you guys in, in Germany, especially like, what's the music scene kind of feel like? Is it ready for these types of tours? Is it ready to accept a new band, if you will, and kind of help support you? As we can tell so far, yes, of course. I mean, what's funny is when speaking to someone like you from the US, you instantly knew like our inspirations, like mm -hmm. you were the one talking about Dillenium and stuff. Here yeah. in Germany, of course, names like him aren't really a thing. 
Like, I think he's been here on tour last year. And he yeah, didn't, like he didn't even show. play a German show. I think, he, I think he, it was he, just Amsterdam and stuff. Oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, Netherlands are, of course, more used, right. more familiar with, like, electronic music. Yeah. So I can't really tell from, from that yeah, electronic side. But the network that we have so far, or, like, the fans we have, and the network with the Rising Empire and stuff, I think we're definitely welcome here. And we will try to get on a small headline run once the album is out. That's all still in the in the works right now. Yeah. We got a, yeah, a support tour coming up with Siamese from Denmark. And yeah, we're trying to jump on a few festivals and just get the album out. And as you mentioned, play shows and shows and shows as much as possible you know what's been interesting is like every time we we walk on stage it's like it's a new audience um because we've we've done a couple support slots um mm -hmm. most recently the support slot that we had for thornhill and uh hold an absence yeah. and i didn't really know what to expect of that one you know I, I i didn't know if people would be into us or if they would be completely turned off by by what we're trying to do um and a key moment in our set is always, you know, that that um, build leading to the willows drop. Mm -hmm. And uh, if that hits and people are moving, they get what we're doing. Right. And if they look at you confused as shit, then you know, oh my God, this is not working and it's just cringing people out, <laughs> which is fine, you know, because it's all subjective. But yeah, it's always, it's always interesting. Like, for example, I, I felt like, you know, when we played Prague, the audience wasn't so much into it and like in 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 in, Ber in berlin and uh for uh, i think italy as well like milan that was great you know there was yeah. no barrier of musical styles that, that we could feel at least um in, in in terms of you know the audience's taste so that's always interesting but i think we're not too far away from a band like holding absence like right I mean, I mean, of course, they decide for lots of different elements than we do, but there are definitely, in terms of the vibe, that the emotional vibe is definitely very close. It's comparable, at least. Yeah. 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 Especially with their new album. I mean, I think that new album is kind of a, a reintroduction for a lot of their fan base to them. Um, and then, you know, the stage presence that those boys have is absolutely oh insane. Like, they... they do not hold back at all. It's a hundred percent the moment they step on stage. Funny anecdote that I have to that. Um, we we played Hamburg. Um, it was like the third or fourth show of the tour, and uh, there was a big mezzanine um, that you could watch the set from, and it was closed off to to the public audience. Right, it was just bands and people that were on bands guest list and all that. Um, and I was up on that mezzanine on a chair watching Hold an Absence play and uh, right beside me was Nick, the, the bass player in Thornhill. And mm -hmm. we were like, just, you know, having a beer and watching the, the Hold an Absence set. And all we talked about in between songs was just like, dude, how is he doing that? He's not from this world, dude. His <laughs> uh, like endurance and power level is, it's, it's, it's really, really good. So I'm, I'm all for this success as they are and i get very well deserved yeah and obviously very very nice guys we were so stoked to tour with them yeah it i saw them uh they were doing the one um 
Ohio is for lovers festival. So the Hawthorne Heights put on their little festival and, you know, just a, a whole mashup of bands, but I got to see them and, and photograph them. And I've got this photo of him doing this high kick and his toes are above his head. And I'm like, bro, you're wearing skinny jeans and you still got your leg that high. Like what is happening here? That's um, a signature move. Dude, he's so good at it. <laughs> um, so yeah, kind of as we transition to the end here, obviously, um, you know, we're touching on the tours and there's still a lot up in the air. If you guys were to pick kind of the dream situation, what would a dream tour package look like for you guys? That's so hard. <laughs> it would be Coldplay, <laughs> The Midnight, The Band Camino mm -hmm. for me, these three, to not name too many because like the funny thing is Marv told me about his first concert experience like ever you were like what 12 13 at the time at the uh what was it called the revolution tour project revolution yeah oh shit that lineup was fucking crazy what was it, was it? linkin park the hymn the used pearl yeah. williams with nerd the bravery and the damage song that's and Linkin Park. Obviously. That's such but, a that's <laughs> such a crossover tour, you know. That uh, it's a shame that that doesn't happen anymore. But you know, under that banner, if something like that would be in style again, so to speak, yeah, I would definitely pick a tour with Porter Robinson. I would also go for Coldplay because they're a big influence on us, and I I feel like they stand for what is love in music, and that's so important. Their message is really really important and still touches us, and. Uh, Number three, oh god, there are so many artists that I like. You know what? I'm gonna go with the secret one. Uh, there's an artist out there called Tennyson, and he's doing this really interesting electronic music that's very much jazz influenced without being, you know, convoluted. Yeah, his vibes are impeccable. So, uh, really big fan. I hope you're doing a new album. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's been a while since rock. Yeah. Awesome. Um, it's funny. You both bring up Coldplay. So I, I'm going to ask, I enjoy Coldplay as well. They're kind of like a Nickelback situation though. Like why do people shit on Coldplay so much? Is it just because Chris Martin is like unapologetically him or like for whatever reason, anytime Coldplay comes on, you have at least, you know, one or two guys in the room that are like, Oh, fuck this. This is shit. It, they, they just do it because it's mainstream. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that happens. You know, if if a band's really good and they get the popularity like on on a global scale, um, I think it's just bound to be shat on. You know, because yeah. some people are like, "Oh my god, they're so good," and they are right. But some other people are just gonna piss on them for the for the sake of it. I feel, you know, and you know, if if they're not bulletproof, obviously, right? Chris Martin right. is a great artist. Um, I, I think his, his live singing ability is really good, but arguably there are voices out there that that are just, you know, of, of mm -hmm. a much more intense quality. You know, yeah. take, for for example, the light, uh, the likes of, um, what's what's he called? Blinding Lights? Who's that? The Weeknd. Oh, yes, The Weeknd. The Weeknd, yeah. Damn it, how could I? Who, how could I <laughs> <say that? laughs> um for example, he, he has such a unique and also strong, but also soft voice. Chris Martin couldn't do shit against that. But that's yeah. not what it is about, right? And as soon as the, there is something that you could nitpick in a band, for example, like, hey, I'm Chris Martin and I sing a Coldplay, <laughs> you know, people are bound to shit on that. So yeah. it's, I don't know what it is. 
That's fair. That's fair. I think it is a lot of that too. Like, like Marv said, and Phil, you touched on it. it. Like at some point it just became the cool thing to do. So everybody wants to jump on that bandwagon and, and shit on them. It's just, I think there's some irony to it as well, where you've got former like day one fans that as they blew up, they're like, Oh, they sold out. You didn't want your favorite band to get popular. Like I, that doesn't make any sort of sense. That's a phenomenon that I never quite got. You know, because you're supporting a band from day one and once they finally make it, you jump off the wagon and you're like, no, this is not for me anymore because it's not exclusive anymore. Maybe it's that. Right. I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, but it's it, the feeling of you are the one who, who found the band. When yeah, it was small. It's, your, it's your secret little thing, right? And especially like with what you touched uh, um, on the topic of Nickelback, Josh, um, I think it's quite interesting. They have like three or four horrible tracks but the rest of their discography is quite good it's heavy yeah. as fuck yes and yeah. <laughs> songs like songs like you know uh, or the album like feed the machine i checked that out a couple of years back this is the this track on there that's called coin for the Fem ferryman and that's fucking that goes hard as shit yeah and it's really good the vocals are on point so i don't know why people shit on them i never got it yeah. Like, of course, yeah, How You Remind Me is, like, a little overplayed by now. But, yeah. like, what they actually do on their albums, apart from these ballads and, you know, kind of pop songs, it's really fucking solid. But I feel like these things are about to change nowadays, especially in times of TikTok and stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. Coldplay, for an example, since they've been on the, was it the last tour? Maybe one or two years ago. The big arena tour where everybody, like, hundreds of videos we're swimming all over TikTok yeah. and they are going on tour here in Europe in summer, I think. And we all try to get tickets yeah. and it's incredibly hard. And I feel like <laughs> it's more or less also because of TikTok, because people are seeing it and they don't really have any attachment to the band. And they just yeah. see, they just want to be part of it. You know, It's good for the band, of course, but. I think they want to be part of that yeah, cool it, thing. It's about to change that people are not shitting so much about things anymore. Like it's been like five or ten years ago. Luckily. Yeah. It's funny that you're saying that because you know, we we listen to an artist from time to time called Anima. Uh, mm -hmm. he's the Italian dude that is kind of revolutionizing what techno can be right now. And I swear to God, I don't listen to him much but I would instantly go to a concert because the vibe and the light show that he does is epic as shit. So yeah. while not being really a, a studio work listener of his, I would in a heartbeat go to a concert. That That's also an, an interesting realization. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, as we wrap up here, because I don't want to keep you or delay you from your next one, um, kind of take the last however long it takes you a couple minutes or whatever to tell people you know where they can find you best way to interact with you and kind of what to expect through 2024 for the band i think of course the easiest one follow us on our socials <laughs> <laughs> stay up to date for everything yeah the, the debut album will be out on march 8th you can always shoot us a message if you want to talk or if you want to see us somewhere we're always available in our dms yes and yeah awesome thank you so much for having us <laughs> it was a yeah. pleasure it's been a great yeah. talk i really enjoyed that <laughs> yeah i i appreciate it guys i when shane hit me up the you know the album was coming and everything i was like let's let's figure out some time like 
I know it's going to be tough with the time difference, but <laughs> I do appreciate you guys taking the time to do this. And I'm really Likewise. looking forward to it. I, you know, I, I think, like I said, I've been pushing you guys onto my playlists as well as making friends listen. Um, so hopefully it's, it's right there at that cusp of breaking through the glass ceiling, if you will. And thank you the, so much. The floodgates open. So do literally w with every supporter who's like, dude, you're so fucking underrated. And, and we're like, just talk to us about your friends. Every little bit helps and because yeah. you know, in it, it's the sum of its parts. Right. So, uh, thank you so much for pushing us to your friends and putting us on your playlist. That's highly appreciated. Honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Guys. We'll talk soon. We'll stay in touch for sure. And, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much, Josh. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, guys. See ya. And that was my conversation with Phil and Marvin, the boys in Floya. Again, just an absolute huge shout out to them for taking the time to do that. Um, there's a huge time zone difference um, between indiana and germany so you know big shout out to them for taking that time making sure that we were able to link up and and have this conversation because i think again for me personally it was a good one it was one that i was looking forward to um and i really hope that this band uh starts to to creep onto your playlists and things like that because they are doing this really dope fusion of EDM and rock music, but it's not the surface level thing that you're going to expect it to be just by hearing that, uh, that phrase or that term. So definitely go check them out. Again, the debut album, Yume, is coming out on March 8th via A Rising Empire. So be sure you're over pre-saving that. Um, check out their back catalog. Let them know in the comments uh, of this post or, you know, obviously we'll link all the socials as we always do. So go give them a like, share, subscribe or follow. Let them know what you thought of the conversation, um, what you're excited for, where you want to see them tour, things like that. Um, because, you know, especially at this stage in their career, um, these are all the things that are going to help get them on the map. They're going to, you know, help blow them up. And kind of like we were talking about there in that conversation, um, I'm not fully convinced that this genre space truly fully exists yet. I think it's uh, still very misunderstood and uh, maybe there's some misconceptions about it like Phil and I were, were discussing there. And so I think, you know, the more eyes we can bring to artists like Floya the more room that this genre is going to have, that this soundscape is going to have. Um, and I think it's a fusion that has been kind of working its way through for a while, but it's just now starting to get a little bit of recognition. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of crazy talented artists out there that are definitely going to fit in this genre once it's all kind of fleshed out. So um, that's everything I've got for you guys on this episode. I do have some really dope uh, musicians for mental health episodes coming up very soon. So be sure you go subscribe to that podcast as well, because some of these conversations, a lot of these conversations actually uh, take place on one or the other. Very few are 
true crossover um, podcast where they're the same conversation on both. Uh, as a matter of fact, almost none. I think I've done it maybe two or three times where uh, it was a dual episode, if you will. So these next few uh, musicians for mental health episodes, I think, are going to be some of the more impactful ones. Um, I think they've all been very impactful, but uh, the one of them that I'm thinking of specifically is probably the most intentionally focused topic-driven one that I've done so far, and I think... Unfortunately, a lot of people will relate to it, and I say unfortunately because obviously um, nobody wants to go through traumas or anything like that. So, uh, But we're hoping that through the conversation that we're going to have, maybe we can help you guys out. Maybe we, we can give you some of the tools that we've uh, built and learned along the way, and it'll help you process some of that stuff. So be sure, like I said, really long-winded way to say... Be sure you jump over to the Musicians for Mental Health podcast. Give that a like as well, a subscribe. Um, and, you know, be sure that you're sharing the podcast with your friends. Uh, share it on social media, Instagram stories, whatever. Um, all that stuff really helps me as well when it comes to getting the guests and things like that. Um, I've got some pretty big... Uh, names on the list that I would like to get this year and so I am doing what I can to to bring those to you so thank you guys for everything you do as always remember take care of yourselves take care of each other and you make the scene <laughs>